0: A full belly is a prerequisite to all manner of good. Without that, no man knows what hunger will make him do. Alexander Pierce, convicted Irish murderer and self-proclaimed cannibal.
1: Hello, and welcome to Two Creepy Bees, a podcast where two sisters obsess the macabre, talk spirits, urban legends, aliens, and the occult. Essentially, anything that tingles your spines and bumps your gooses. I'm Bethany.
0: And I'm Bailey.
1: And we're your two creepy co-hosts. All righty. Well, welcome to episode 10 of Two Creepy Beds.
0: Wow, 10 episodes.
1: Yeah, I know. Look at us go. Look at us go. Double digits. Yeah,
0: we're into the double digits.
1: Anyway, this week's episode is on the Wendigo Super creepy, Mm -hmm. cryptozoology-inspired episode. I'm super excited. How about you?
0: Yeah, I really love The Legend of the Wendigo because it's so dang creepy. Oh my god, it's so creepy. Do you remember
1: like the first time you ever heard about the Wendigo or where you first heard of the Wendigo?
0: Yeah, um, I remember the first time hearing about the Wendigo... When I read the scary stories to tell in the dark, uh, there's oh, a yeah. there's a short story about the windigo. It it doesn't go along with the actual Native American legend, mm-hmm. but it was really creepy to me at the time.
1: Yeah, I remember that one. It wasn't about like uh like two dudes that were stuck in like a cabin, not in a cabin, but
0: so the I don't know where this guy's from, mm-hmm. but. He's a hunter. He wants to go hunting in northern Canada. No one will take him mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's too dangerous. He finally finds this guy who is willing to take him and the the guide starts hearing his voice being called in the wind. Ew. And slowly but surely he just it disturbs him enough where he just goes tearing off into the night mm-hmm. and all I'm gonna is uh, he may get picked up, picked up in the air and dropped a couple times oh, by oh. a mysterious force. Oh my! Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, which that's pretty creepy on its own, but that's not typically associated with the Wendigo in uh, traditional legends. Yeah.
1: Well, still, I mean, that's pretty young to get exposed to a complex cultural topic such as the Wendigo. It's pretty cool that you got. It that you got your first taste of it, then I I feel like that too was my first time being exposed to it. But the first time I really realized what a Wendigo was, was actually, I think I was in like middle school. And sci-fi mm. used... I think it was sci-fi. used to have this TV show. <gasps>
0: um, Is it Fear Itself? Yes! Oh, my... Oh. <laughs> I just oh. watched the episode oh God, in that, preparation. That... I watched the Wendigo. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. And it shook so me. So creepy.
1: Like, the guy that turns into the Wendigo... Spoiler. Um, Not too much of a spoiler. But he just looks so horrifying with his... ...super tight skin. His teeth look massive. Oh, I... Yeah, if you can, mm-hmm. I, I strongly suggest listeners yeah. to go watch that episode of Fear Itself. Is it called Wendigo?
0: No, it's called Skin and Bones, oh. and you can find it on YouTube. Oh. You oh. can find it. I'm
1: going to make Tyler watch that tonight. Maybe I shouldn't because I'm definitely going to have nightmares, but yes. Holy crap. Yeah, that's like... Yeah,
0: you're, <laughs> yeah. you're still going to find him creepy. Yep, He's- yep.
1: Oh, my God. Very, very creepy. Well, I'm so happy you knew what I was talking about because I couldn't remember the name of the show. I knew it had something to do with fear. But, yeah, that's the first time I really remember, like, figuring out what a Wendigo was. And it,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was
1: pretty good. Well, all right.
0: I think. All this buildup for the Wendigo, I think we should probably just. Yeah. <laughs> jump in. Yeah, because there, it, yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to the Wendigo itself. So, why don't you, why
1: don't you tell us a little bit about it?
0: The Wendigo originates from the folklore of the Algonquin peoples, known by several names: Wendigo, Wintigo, Witiko, and Weetigo. Each roughly translates to "the evil spirit that devours mankind." Mm-hmm. So, just a prelude to what we're getting into. <laughs> one of the most populous and widespread Native American groups, Algonquin tribes consist of peoples that speak Algonquin languages and historically shared cultural similarities. There are hundreds of original and distinct tribes within the Algonquin language family. Historically, the Algonquin peoples were prominent along the Atlantic coast and into the interior along the St. Lawrence River in Quebec, and Also around the Great Lakes regions of the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. Associated most with harsh winter weather and harsh winter months, the wendigo seeks out human beings to devour in forested wilderness. It will consume any man, woman, or child who is unlucky enough to come across it in the forest. It varies between different native cultures, but it can present itself as either a large monster or even as a malevolent spirit. The Wendigo can either devour a person or, worse, possess them, turning them into a cannibal, and sometimes transforming them into a Wendigo themselves. (sighs) Spoiler alert again, that's what happens in Fear Itself episode. I have to say in that episode, side note, they did... a. a really good job of um, making his character look a- pretty accurate to what uh, traditional natives describe the Wendigo looking like. Oh, good! I mean, they, good they, they, job, yeah, good job, sci-fi. Which we, yeah, which we'll get into in, in a <laughs> little bit. <laughs> um. The Wendigo legend represents famine, murder, cannibalism, and insatiable greed, especially in times of hardship. For example, during the long, harsh winter months, especially the area of North America we're talking about, where it is extremely cold mm-hmm. and extremely harsh mm-hmm. winter conditions. Mm-hmm. So there are two interpretations of the physical appearance of the Wendigo. The modern interpretation of the Wendigo is a large-looking demonic beast with the head of a stag or just a stag skull, complete with large antlers. You're bound to have seen this imagery in popular culture. For example, if any of you guys have seen the TV show Hannibal, uh, there's a lot of um, Wendigo... Um, Imagery. Oh, so really? I didn't know that. I've never seen it. It's good. I like it. It's cool. So in season two, uh, Hannibal Lecter, who is the, the title character, um, whom, spoiler alert, you probably <laughs> already know this, I hope you know this, he's a cannibal. Oh, God, so many um, spoilers in this episode. We're just ruining everybody's day. <laughs> well, I, I would hope everyone knows that Hannibal Lecter is a cannibal. I know, I was being but, sarcastic. <laughs> but I know, but... In season two of the episode, he's represented as a Wendigo, mm. uh, very tall with long appendages, um, including very long fingers, tar black skin, very skinny with ribs protruding, and on his head, very tall, stag-like antlers. Mm. The other interpretation of what the Wendigo looks like is the traditional Algonquin description. I'm partial to this description. Mm -hmm. To me, I mean, the stag head's creepy and all, but this is like...
1: Yeah, I find this one way more horrifying, too.
0: So, in Algonquin folklore, there isn't a whole lot to go off of, but it certainly isn't described as having a stag's head. There isn't a clear reason as to why our modern interpretation has shifted this way. There could be some confusion with the Navajo skinwalker, which is a malicious human-to-animal shapeshifter, uh, or is it just a modern stylistic interpretation? Although, the stag appears in folklore all over the world. Typically, they appear as woodland deities, representing fertility. It was a creature that many Native American cultures regarded very highly. So, if we go with the idea that the wendigo is a symbol of corruption, the fact that it manifests as an animal that the Native Americans held in high regard mm. makes it seem as though nothing is safe from the wendigo. Ah. This really highlights the seriousness of the warnings and the meanings of the stories. Interesting. So, been hyping it up. The second physical description, um, as I mentioned before, comes from traditional folklore. This image is closer to the likeness of a decomposing corpse. Basil Johnston, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gives a description of the Wendigo. Quote, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. Mm -hmm. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death. And its eyes pushed back deep deep. Into their sockets. The wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from superations of the flesh, the wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. (laughs) End quote. It also had elongated spindly fingers with long, sharp nails to cut and slash its victims. Its lips pulled back extremely thin above its fully exposed, jagged, and fang-like teeth. Wow, that In show really did a great job. Like, now that, looking at that exact description. Sorry to interrupt. you. Oh, so scary. <laughs> In some Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, West Main, Swampy Cree, Naskapi and Inu lore, wendigos are often described as giants that are many times larger than human beings, a characteristic absent from other myths in Algonquin cultures. Whenever a wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to its meal it had just eaten, mm. so it could never be full. Therefore, wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. Mm. The Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, they are constantly searching for new victims. Their starvation and their search for new victims is eternal. The Wendigo is always regarded as evil and wicked. This is no doubt due to their cannibalistic nature. There is the belief that a person can become a Wendigo if they're overcome by greed. Hmm. This is taught to promote the necessity of moderation within a community, especially within times of scarcity and famine. This legend essentially scared tribe members into behaving. Fair enough. (gasps) It would scare me into behaving too. Oh my gosh, I guess. It's also said that a person can turn into a Wendigo if they commit horrible acts of cannibalism. This is thought to be the basis of the Wendigo legend. Like I mentioned earlier, the area of where the legend originated, the winter months, were extremely brutal. There were very bleak times where famine was so terrible that people had no other choice but to resort to cannibalism just to survive. Mm-hmm. It's not common today, but in times of harsh famine, some Algonquin tribes performed a Wendigo ceremony. Among some of the Cree and the Ojibwe, a satirical ceremonial dance is sometimes performed to reinforce the seriousness of the Wendigo taboo. The ceremony involved wearing masks and dancing backwards around a drum. Many saw the Wendigo as a metaphor for imbalance, not only within an individual, but within society. The idea of selfishness ties into the fact that Wendigos are seen as solitary creatures, often referred to as, quote, spirits of the lonely places, end quote. So what makes the Wendigo different from other supernatural creatures? What makes them truly terrifying? As if what I've mentioned before isn't scary. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. Again, as I've mentioned before, another way the Wendigo terrorizes its victims is by means of possession. The Wendigo possession is not the same as your typical spirit or demon possession. It chooses its victims very carefully and slowly eats away at the person's sanity. Mm -hmm. It enters their victim's thoughts and plagues them with horrible nightmares. Unable to sleep, the person begins suffering from a burning sensation all over their body. This is what's called Wendigo Fever. There are stories of people running completely naked through the winter weather claiming that they have Wendigo Fever. Eventually, its victim will fall completely to the influence of the Wendigo. Its ceaseless whispers into the mind of its victims slowly convinces them they need to devour a fellow human being. Turning on their loved ones and community, The person will turn to the vile act of cannibalism and will never stop craving human flesh. The only escape from the curse of the Wendigo is death. It's also possible that the possession will turn the victim into a full-fledged Wendigo, cursing them with the ceaseless starvation and hunger for human flesh. Hmm. Along with the abilities to pervert a human's sanity, the Wendigo also has physical prowess. They are known to be extremely fast and have unnatural strength despite their frail appearance. They also have heightened senses and endurance, making them expert hunters in all terrains. They can hear the pounding heart of a lost hiker from miles away. Also, as the Wendigo ages, the stronger it becomes. As its corruption spreads through the forest, it's said the Wendigo could control nature. The oldest and most powerful Wendigos wielded the power to control the weather and could black out the sun, making it unsafe for anyone at any time. Another gift that the Wendigo possesses is mimicking voices. Mm. It will use the voice of a family member or friends to lure victims deeper into the wilderness and straight into the Wendigo's grasp. There's no doubt that the Wendigo myth has changed and evolved over time. It's now another monster that reflects flaws in human nature. Greed, selfishness, and extreme cases, cannibalism. While Native Americans may not believe in the supernatural creature in a literal sense like they have in the past, as a concept, the Wendigo can apply to other situations like Native American-European relations. Mm. It can serve as a metaphor explaining any pattern of domination by which groups subjugate or dominate or violently destroy and displace. Joe Lockhart, English professor at Arizona State University, argues that Wendigos are agents of, quote, social cannibalism who know, quote, no provincial or national borders. All human cultures have been visited by shape-shifting Wendigos. Their visitations speak to the inseparability of human experience. National identity is irrelevant to this borderless horror. End quote. Lockhart's ideas explain that Wendigos are an expression of a dark aspect of human nature. The drive towards greed, consumption, and disregard for other life in the pursuit of self-aggrandizement. Which is something the human race is still very familiar with true that well who like i i I almost
1: forgot how truly terrifying the wendigo is oh yeah um not only just in its appear in its appearance but also in its symbolism it's yeah (laughs) um but now that we have some Some idea of what the Wendigo looks like, a little cultural context. We we kind of get an understanding of how seriously this was taken in these Native American Algonquin uh, cultures. And that kind of leads us into our second part of the episode where we're going to talk about some true stories of the Wendigo. So the first true story involving the Wendigo legend is of a man named Swift Runner. So, born in Alberta, Canada, Swift Runner was a well-known and respected member of the Cree community and a father of six. He was a professional trapper and served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. The Mounties, as they're also known. Yeah, It is also said that he was an incredibly large man, standing at over six feet tall. Just thought I'd throw that little fact in there. But some sources say, but didn't really explain how, that Swift Runner lost the ability to hunt, at least commercially, and therefore lost the ability to provide for his family. So it is believed that this led to, or at least played, a major role in his alcohol addiction. The priest, seeing that Swift Runner was clearly distraught, asked him what happened. Swift Runner said his family meaning his wife, six children, and some variations of the legend say also his mother-in-law and brother, were all dead. He began to explain that the winter of 1878 had been harsh. They had found no food to eat, and they began to starve. And one by one, his family members died of hunger. The priests were, however, growing suspicious. Swift Runner looked healthy to them, well-fed even, and apparently, several other Cree families had had rough luck with hunting, but most of them had had a decent amount of success. Also, emergency food supplies were available 25 miles away at Hudson's Bay Company trading post, but no attempt was made by Swift Runner, Runner to retrieve them. The priests eventually went to the authorities, suspecting foul play. The police for swift runner to lead them to his campsite and that's when they discovered the gruesome scene there were apparently bones strewn about and there was even a pot of fat that was suspected to be human in origin that is when swift runner made a desperate defense he claimed that he had been possessed by a Wendigo swift runner said the evil spirit had forced him to murder and eat his family The police obviously didn't believe his supernatural defense and he was then formally arrested. Some variations of the story say that Swift Runner eventually confessed to his crimes at the police station, saying that after his eldest son had died of starvation, he murdered the remaining members of his family and cannibalized them. After a short trial with only 20 minutes of deliberation by the jury, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Swift Runner was executed by hanging on December 20th, 1879. He was the first man legally hanged in Alberta. Some variations of the legend say that it was actually at the gallows minutes before his hanging when he made his confession. Either way, his execution was said to have drawn quite a large audience.
0: Oof.
1: Yeah, it's pretty heavy. So this is an example of someone who committed cannibalism and then tried to blame mm-hmm. it on the Wendigo defense. Uh, in our next story, which is the story of Jack and Joseph Filler, it's it's a little bit different. Um, this is a this is a bit more complex as far as ethical um, as far as ethics and. Uh, morality are concerned across cultural boundaries so i think it's a pretty important story so jack fiddler was also known as zauno gizigo gaobao meaning he who stands in the southern sky and in hudson's hudson's bay company's records he had two other names that in swampy cree mean stylish man but i'm just going to stick with jack fiddler for um consistency throughout the story fiddler was a well-respected ojibwe shaman and leader of the sucker people of sandy lake which is modern day northwestern ontario he was born in the 1830s or early 1840s and had five wives over the years along with a total of 12 children it should be known the sucker people of sandy lake were very isolated coming into very little contact with white people. Hudson's Bay Company had even closed its nearby training posts, so Fiddler and his peoples were forced to travel for hunting and supplies until the post was reopened several years later. In 1891, after Fiddler's father died, he became the leader of the Sucker People, which was around 100 to 120 individuals in total. And he was also very influential with people living even at a distance. Fiddler was known as an incredibly talented shaman, and he performed great acts of healing as told by oral history. But his most well-known power was that of his ability to defeat Wendigos. So as we kind of touched on earlier, belief in the Wendigo was universal in this region. And there are many documented cases of people who were quite ill, and feared that they would lose control to the wendigo and would ask family members to actually kill them. Uh, Even the blood of a dead wendigo was believed to be dangerous, so it required special care and practices to deal with them. And this is oftentimes where Fiddler came in. Fiddler was said to have killed 14 wendigos in his lifetime. Some of these Wendigos were apparently sent against his people by enemy shamans, and others were members of his group who were overcome with an insatiable desire to consume human flesh. Fiddler was most often, though, asked by family members to kill very sick loved ones before the Wendigo was able to take them over. And in some cases, the, quote, Wendigos themselves would ask to be euthanized. Fiddler's own brother, Peter Flett, was killed after he allegedly turned into a Wendigo after his trading expedition ran out of food. Apparently, in 1906, word traveled to the Royal North- Northwest Mounted Police that a, quote, a band of pagan Indians who are in the habit of killing one another whenever one gets delirious through fever or other causes, end quote. So not super sensitive to this region's beliefs but um clearly yeah (laughs) so a year later a patrol was sent out to investigate this claim and as they neared sandy lake they learned from a man named norman ray whose wife was one of the sucker people that jack fiddler and his brother joseph who was also known as pasaquan had actually killed a wendigo earlier that same year the patrol continued and on june 15 1907 arrested the two men, and charged them with the murder of Wasa Kapikwe, who was actually Joseph's daughter-in-law. They were taken to and held at Norway House, a community and population center of over 5,000 people near Lake Winnipeg. By August, the story made its way to the newspapers, with dramatic and insensitive headlines saying things like, quote, "...dark deeds of the Kewatan Indians. They strangle and burn sick friends." as announced by the Toronto Globe, end quote. At this point, it should be noted that Jack and Joseph Fiddler were very old. They were actually in their 80s, and they were trying to near, quote, retirement from Wendigo hunting. They didn't want to do it anymore, because as I'm sure you understand, it was probably very emotionally exhausting, So this did not go unnoticed by people. In fact, the Royal Northwest Mounted Police Superintendent Gilbert Edward Sanders believed the charges should be completely dropped. And according to a Methodist missionary, Joseph Albert George Lousley, quote, He has not the slightest sign of enmity or hatred towards men nor God, no rebellion or unbelief. He He is a quiet, dignified man who has lived his life with a clear conscience. End quote. But on September 30th, after 15 weeks of imprisonment, Jack Fiddler actually snuck away and passed the police constable on guard and walked into the woods. He was found later that day. He apparently had hung himself on a tree. So the case against Joseph continued in front of a sixth jury man on October 7th, and the Department of Justice apparently had advised Indian Affairs against getting a lawyer for him, and Hudson's Bay Company employee, James Kirkness, who knew the Sandy Lake people better than any other outsider, was not called to give evidence as to what normal tribal customs were, but he did sit through the trial as a translator. And according to Norman Ray's testimony, the victim was brought to a sucker encampment while she was very ill. She, quote, would not be quiet, end quote, and some of the women actually had to hold her down. And when Ray saw her the next day, she was lying quietly. Jack and Joseph were placing a string around her neck, with which they then strangled her. It was said that if she had not been killed, she would have become a wendigo. The Royal Northwest Mounted Police Commissioner, Islesworth Bowen Perry, who heard the case as a stipendary magistrate, said to the jury, quote, what the law forbids, no pagan belief can justify, end quote. The jury reluctantly relayed the verdict of guilty, though they did make a recommendation for mercy due to the accused's ignorance of the laws in that region, in that settlement. But Perry sentenced the man to hang. During most of Joseph's time in prison, he was sick with tuberculosis. Many appeals were made for his release, and they were eventually successful, but unfortunately just not in time. The release order came on the 4th of September, 1909, but it was too late. Joseph had died from his illness just three days before. Later, in 1989, reflecting on the case Chief Josias Fiddler told the Manito- Manitoba Native Justice Inquiry of the Great Ordeal suffered by Joseph and Jack when they were caught in an unfamiliar legal system.
0: Yeah, that's that's
1: tough. Yeah, I I that's like a huge issue of ethics. Like that's like a big philosophical debate. It's like where do you draw the lines of what's right and what's wrong between different cultural um between different cultures, and right. I mean, to to their people, Jack and Joseph Fiddler were doing what was best for everybody. But right. to outsiders, it was it was purely seen as murder, and right. and their culture was not taken into account at all. It was right, yeah. It, it was a horrible act of injustice, and um, I mean, while it may be difficult for us to understand, like. And it may be difficult for us to hear the details about how they strangled this woman, this victim. It, it it's, was a part of their custom, and I think that should have been taken into account, obviously. But that, it just wasn't. Right. And and that Perry gentleman, if I should even call him that, had no sympathy for that at all. Clearly not. Yeah. So, yeah, those are <sighs> two of the most well-known cases of you know of true crimes that, have, that are related to Wendigos um right. so documented we're gonna, yeah
0: <laughs> documented Wendigo cases
1: yeah but they have two very different scenarios there two very different yes, scenarios they do. Um, yes they do um
0: so science has
1: attempted to explain away um cases like swift runners so instances of cannibalism that were blamed on the Wendigo on A hotly debated syndrome known as Wendigo psychosis. As stated, this hotly debated modern medical term of Wendigo psychosis is described as a culture-bound syndrome with symptoms such as an intense craving for human flesh and the fear of becoming a cannibal. So to give some context to that, a culture-bound syndrome is described as a combination of psychiatric and somatic symptoms that are considered to be a recognizable disease only within a specific society or culture. There are no objective biochemical or structural alterations of body organs or functions, and the disease is not recognized in other cultures. So as mentioned earlier, the stories of Swift Runner and Jack and Joseph Fiddler are considered some of the most famous examples of this Wendigo psychosis.
0: In historical accounts of Wendigo psychosis, it's been reported that humans became possessed by the Wendigo spirit after being in a situation of needing food and resorting to cannibalism, like we mentioned before. In 1661, the Jesuit Relations, which are the chronicles of the Jesuit missions in New France, taking place between 1632 and 1673, reported that, quote, What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous when they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more-than-canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and, as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. End quote. That's pretty intense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's really intense. But in some indigenous communities, environmental destruction and insatiable greed are also seen as a manifestation of Wendigo psychosis. Fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists led to a hotly debated controversy in the 1980s over the history of this phenomena. Some researchers argued that essentially, Wendigo psychosis was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related related to them at face value without observations. Others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts, both by Algonquins and others, as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was a factual historical phenomenon. The frequency of Wendigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as Algonquin peoples came into greater and greater contact with European ideologies and more sedentary, less rural lifesty- lifestyles. But as you can see, that just means that the legend of the Wendigo has just taken on more modern adaptations. So. Mm-hmm. It's still deeply embedded in those cultures. Whew. So that was kind of heavy. hmm Not only is the Wendigo creature horrifying, but those cases themselves were either terrifying, as in the case of Swift Runner, but also just kind of sad and... Um, yeah. I think Jack and Joseph Fiddler's case was more
0: sad. Than anything. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed getting all this information for you. Make sure to check out our website, 2creepybees.com, for sources and further learning. I'll also put a link, if you guys are interested, for the show Fear Itself, so you can get a really good idea of what the Wendigo looks like. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, favorite? it's really creepy. Yeah, so thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks. If you
1: enjoyed this podcast and all things creepy, you can find us on SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Where, if you want to support us, you can like, review, and subscribe to help get the word out about our show. And if we're not already on your favorite listening forum, let us know. And we'll do our best to make sure that you get access to all the creepy episodes you'd like. You can email us questions, comments, episode suggestions, or spooky personal anecdotes at 2 creepybeespodcast at gmail.com. That's 2 creepybspodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest under 2creepybees. And finally, check out our website at www.2creepybees.com.
0: And remember... Keep it creepy. Creepy.